came to bring us life and to bring it abundantly. And it's obvious that some Christians have this abundant life. You can see it in everything they do. You can feel it when you're around them. And you can often sense it in their churches they attend because exciting things happen when Christians like them get together. On the other hand, some Christians and churches seem more dead than alive. No enthusiasm, no excitement, no zest for life. So why the difference? Both are alive, technically, but some seem so dead. Maybe it's because death can rule over great areas of our life long before we die. Boredom, despair, fear, worry, bitterness, they all rob us of life. And if we let them, they can make us into zombies, the walking dead. The good news is that Jesus came to abolish death in all its forms. And we, like the Apostle Peter, can become channels of the life-giving power of Jesus Christ if we'll just tap into it and then let it flow through us. You know, once Peter was finally plugged in, he abolished death wherever he went. And in the ninth and 10th chapters of Acts, we actually see what we're going to refer to as three forms of death overcome by the power of Christ. Now, before we go any further, I want to let you in on a little secret. You know, I don't believe it's possible for anyone preaching from the Bible to be totally original. For nearly 2,000 years, sermons have been built on the same text, and preachers read the writings of other preachers. It's foolish and almost arrogant not to. We learn from each other. And when I was first learning how to preach expository sermons, I learned how to do so by reading and to some extent reproducing the sermons of Ray Stedman, a preacher out in California. Another preacher put me on to Ray very early in my ministry here at Chatham. And I owe him a great debt of gratitude for guiding me into this style of preaching. And as you know, I've been doing this for almost 40 years now. And this is actually the fourth time I've preached through the book of Acts. And quite frankly, I did not remember where my thoughts on this particular text originally came from. You know, generally, if I think a sermon that I preached the last time going through a particular book of the Bible is still sound and expresses what needs to be expressed, I don't start from scratch. I just rethink, revise, and update it before preaching it again. And as I was doing so with this text, I actually began to wonder where the idea of three forms of death came from. Because it doesn't just jump out of the text itself. And it was back in 1975 that I first preached through Acts. It was only the second book 
I preached through expositorily, and at the time, I was very dependent on Ray Stedman, so I wondered, did I get the idea from Ray? Well, I pulled a book on Acts from my bookshelves by Ray and found a chapter entitled, Three Faces of Doubt, that bears a striking resemblance to my sermon. So I wanted to give him due credit or blame for at least some of what you're about to hear. I, I don't think it's considered plagiarism if you acknowledge your source. So I've done that this morning. Now, now, whether the idea of three forms of death actually originated with Ray or he got it from somebody else, I don't know. But wherever it came from, I think it's a great way to look at the text we're looking at this morning. And we're going to explore it as three forms of death. We begin by seeing death seen in paralysis. Acts chapter 9, verses 32 through 35. Now it came about that as Peter was traveling through all those parts, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. And there he found a certain man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden eight years, for he was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. And immediately he arose. And all who lived at Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. For eight years, this man was handicapped by a body that refused to function as it should. Then Peter said, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. And he did so. Now, this is a powerful record of a wonderful miracle that turned people to the Lord. But it's also an illustration of how the power of Christ can be released in our lives and churches to combat paralysis. For what happened to Aeneas can happen in the body of Christ as well. Sometimes there are parts of the body that just quit functioning. And there are some parts of the body that never seem to get the message that they're supposed to be functioning. You know, some think Christianity is a casual spectator sport. Come if you feel like it, sit, watch, and go home. Somehow they never get the message that they're supposed to be doing something with the information they're getting on Sunday morning. It's supposed to make a difference. It's supposed to stir them to action. It's like what's being said never makes it to their control center. Something is blocking the signals to the body. Now, I gained an understanding of this and what can happen in a physical body nearly 30 years ago. When Sally, the first hawk that I flew in falconry, ate some poisoned starlings. The poison that the starlings got into their system, they absorbed from toxic perches. And then when she ate the starlings, the poison passed on to her. And the poison was called a CNS inhibitor. It's something that breaks down the connections between the brain and other parts of the body. One nerve cell can't get the message to the next nerve cell, and without intervention, the body just dies. 
Well, if given enough time, the body can replace the cholinesterase needed to get the signals flowing again, but a substitute is needed until then. That is what the antidote did, and that is how we saved Sally. Well, sometimes the church acts like it's been poisoned. Messages aren't getting through from the head to all the parts of the body. The power is still there. The head is still giving out messages, but there's a breakdown between nerve cells. One cell is not stimulating the other. That's why we are told to stimulate one another to love and good works. And sometimes all that's needed is stimulation from another part of the body. And basically that's what Peter did to Aeneas. He told him that Christ had healed him, so all he had to do was get up, make his bed, and get moving. Maybe that's what we need to be saying to one another. When we see someone paralyzed by inactivity in the church, we need to remind them that Jesus has called us to action and that he has the power to get us moving if we will just get up, make our beds, and get going. Now, some might feel it's not their place to tell someone to get out of bed, especially on Sunday morning. But if we really care about each other and the church, we will. We will. You know, I'm sure it seems harsh when a nurse makes you get out of bed after surgery. But if she didn't, you might never get out of bed. And the same is true in the church. If each part of the body doesn't carry the message from the head to the part of the body next to it, the messages won't get through. And paralysis will set in. Peter makes it very clear. By healing Aeneas, that Jesus has the power to get us moving if we'll just encourage one another to do so. The next incident is even more remarkable. For here we find death in its most dreaded form, the actual ending of life, when someone is not only paralyzed, but petrified. Now, I can assure you that is my word. I like alliteration. And I had to find something else with a P. So, petrification. Verses 36 through 38. Now, in Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which translated in Greek is called Dorcas. This woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. And it came about at that time that she fell sick and died. And when they had washed her body, they laid it in an upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, having heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him, entreating him, do not delay to come to us. You know, I think death's power to interrupt service can be seen here. Dorcas was known for her acts of kindness and charity, and suddenly her service was brought to an abrupt end. She died. But look what happened next. Let's continue on. And Peter arose and went with them. 
And when he had come, they brought him into the upper room, and all the widows stood beside him weeping and showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make while she was with them. But Peter sent them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. And calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known all over Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. And it came about that he stayed many days in Joppa with a certain tanner, Simon. Obviously, this is a fantastic miracle. A woman whose ministry of love and selflessness was interrupted by death, but by the power of Christ, she was restored to her ministry of good works. Now, of course, she later died again. So the most important thing to learn here is that our service from Christ can be halted by death, and not just physical death, but by the death of, of the Spirit. It's possible for an active Christian to suddenly become spiritually dead. Maybe not to the point where they lose their salvation, but where life is drained from their spirit. What was once alive and active and vibrant is now lifeless. Now things can happen that turn Christians cold, hard, and indifferent that petrifies them. Tragedy, disappointment, disillusionment, overwork can kill us spiritually. And it can happen quite suddenly and unexpectedly. We've all seen it happen. We've seen people just die spiritually. So what do we do about it? Do we just say, man, that's too bad? Or did we do what Dorcas's friends did? They lovingly cared for her body, but they were in no hurry to bury it. Remember how quickly Ananias and Sapphira were buried. The church wanted to get rid of them, but not so with Dorcas. They laid her in an upper room, and they sought help from a man of God. What did he do? He prayed for her. He spoke to her. And he challenged her to arise. Then when he saw signs of life returning, he offered her his hand and helped her up and got her back into fellowship with the church that cared about her and wanted her back. That's what we've got to do. When someone suddenly goes cold and hard and starts to petrify. We've got to intercede on their behalf. Care for what remains and pray for them. And if need be, seek for others who can minister to them in ways we can't in the hopes that they can be restored to life and active service once again. If we'll do that, if we'll care for each other like that, it won't go unnoticed. Perhaps, like it did 2,000 years ago, it'll become known all over our city. 
but here's a body of believers that care for each other. That brings us to the third incident. And believe it or not, this incident is the most significant of all because it concerns healing in the spirit of Peter himself. But it begins with another man living 27 miles up the coast from Joppa in the Roman garrison headquarters at Caesarea. And it has to do with death that comes from prejudice. Acts 10. Now there was a certain man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man, and one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come into him and said to him, Cornelius? Fixing his gaze upon him and being much alarmed, he said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who's also called Peter. He's staying with a certain tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who was speaking to him had departed... He summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who were in constant attendance upon him. And after he had explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now what we have here is a picture of a moral, upright, generous man who feared God and prayed to him continually but who did not know how to enter into a personal relationship with his creator. How to be forgiven. How to be made acceptable by a holy God. Cornelius was a devout, God-fearing Gentile to whom no one would take the gospel. But God was about to intervene on his behalf. Let's read on. And on the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. And he beheld the sky opened up and a certain object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. And again a voice came to him a second time, What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. This happened three times. And immediately the object was taken up into the sky. It was lunchtime. Peter was hungry. And he fell into a trance. In it he saw a sheet being lowered containing all kinds of animals and crawling creatures and birds and heard a voice say, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. Now, 
contrary to what the folks at PETA might think, the shocking thing about this vision isn't the command to kill and eat. It's that the animals in the sheet were unclean. And no matter how hungry he might be, a good Jew would never eat an unclean animal. Now, a Gentile would. But then again, the Jews viewed Gentiles on the same level as unclean animals. And Peter had fallen victim to that long-standing prejudice. Through prejudice, part of his heart had died. He wasn't sensitive to the spiritual needs of the Gentiles at all. He had completely missed it when Jesus said they were to take the gospel to the remotest part of the earth, to all nations. Apparently it never crossed his mind that Jesus was talking about Gentiles. But he was. And God was going to have to directly intervene to open Peter's eyes to the fact that all of mankind was loved by him. And that was the real purpose of the vision. Now it's true, it also makes it clear that it's okay for us to eat pork chops and catfish. But the real message is that God no longer wanted Gentiles to be viewed as unholy. Now it's true, he had separated the Jewish people to himself, set them apart from the world and made them holy. But that was only so he could demonstrate to the rest of the world the relationship he wanted to have with all mankind. And the time had come to make it clear that no one was outside the scope of God's love and grace. Anyone, anyone could be made clean, acceptable, holy unto God. And it was Peter's job to get that message out. But first, God had to deal with the prejudice that was in his heart. And it took a vision and three commands to open his eyes to that fact. This was a hard lesson for Peter to learn. When told to eat, he responded, By no means, Lord. That's an interesting response. He called him Lord but said he wouldn't do what the Lord commanded him to do. That's how deadly prejudice can be. But God was getting through. Let's read on. Now, while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision which he had seen might be, behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate. Calling out, they were asking whether Simon, who was also called Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you, but arise, go downstairs, and accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. Peter went down to the men and said, Behold, I'm the one you're looking for. Uh, what is the reason for which you've come? And they said, Cornelius. A centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you, to come to his house and hear a message from you. And so he invited them in 
and gave them lodging. The barriers were coming down. Peter invited a Gentile to be his guest. An unheard of thing for a Jew to do. And the stage was set for the rest of the world to discover that God loves them and wants them to come to him. Now this isn't the end of Peter's prejudice. Prejudice dies hard. And he would later be confronted by the Apostle Paul because of his prejudicial behavior. But God was working on him, healing his heart, and opening him up to the full measure of life that God intended for him to find in the church. Broad, rich fellowship with all kinds of people, not just people like himself. You know, sometimes that's hard for us living here in Chatham, is it not? I'm grateful for opportunities we've been given to face prejudices that sometimes hang on to us. All people are welcome in the kingdom of God. They're all loved by our Heavenly Father. And it's our job to break through prejudices that might hold us back from sharing that good news. Some of our prejudices may need to go. If we are to really experience the full measure of life available through Christ, how often do we shut people out that God loves? People of different social or economic or racial backgrounds, or even Christians who differ with us, who worship in ways that we think strange, or believe things we reject, or reject things we believe. Has our heart died to whole groups of people who differ from us? If it has, we've got a problem. The same problem Peter had. And it's time for us to allow Christ to deal with it. In fact, we better ask him to deal with all three forms of death we've seen this morning. A death that paralyzes, makes us occasional spectators instead of participants. A sudden, complete death that takes all signs of life from us, making us cold and hard and indifferent that petrifies us. And the death of prejudice that cuts us off from fellowship with all of God's people. These Three forms of death can creep into a church. And they generally creep in claiming one member at a time. So let's be aware of them. Let's be aware of them. Let's be on watch for them and seek full life through Christ by trusting him and obeying him. Let's not say he's Lord and then say no. <laughs> How stupid is that? That just makes no sense. But that's what Peter said. And I'm afraid that's what some of us say. When we don't want to change. We've got to face up. To the forms of death that rob us of life. As the people of God. 
The only way to do that, the only way to live abundantly, is to come to the one who can give us life, trust him, and obey him. That's the key to life. And life more.